Morning, morning, church. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, especially honored to have you, and I'd love to meet you if this is your first time. If you have time after the service, and we'd love to just get to know your name and how, how God led you to Solid Rock. If you join us online, uh, glad you're connecting in this way. Uh, we miss you. We'd rather have you here in person, but glad we can stay connected that way. Um, if you're here today and you know somebody who is at home who couldn't be here, um, I just encourage you to consider making, making an effort to reach out this week and let them know you missed them and see if they need anything because connecting online is not the same as being here in person. So just want to encourage you as a church to, to love on those who couldn't be here for whatever reason. Um, uh, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1. That's what Ken was just reading. I had a couple of quick announcements. Um, first of all, did you notice how good the lawn looked when you came in this morning? Did you see that? Like, you may not have noticed because like, you live in a neighborhood where like, all the lawns look that way. Uh, but there's a good chance you don't live in a neighborhood with 13 acre lawns. And so it takes a lot of work um, to make the church lawn look the way it does this morning. And I just want to acknowledge our, our landscaping team, our lawn mowing crew. Uh, just really appreciate the hard work that they put into it. Uh, there's at least one lady on the team that I know of. And so just super thankful for them. Um, but also wanted to let you know that you may not even be aware that like there is a team that does that. Um, and if that stirs up some interest in you, you could talk to Ken, who was just up here reading scripture and praying, or you could stop at the welcome desk and just ask for more info on how to be a part of the mowing team, because uh, it does take a team to get 13 acres looking like it does this morning. It looks really good. Um, on the staffing side, we've got some announcements for you. Um, first of all, the uh, worship coordinator position, we've been interviewing somebody for that, and uh, we're in the last uh, kind of stages of that interview process. Um, we have a candidate who will be interviewing with our leadership team this coming week, and I uh, just want to invite you to pray uh, for the leadership team and for that candidate, um, for God's will to be done, and, uh, and then we'll follow up with, with an announcement to let you know how that, how that has gone, um, but wanted, wanted you to know about that, but also want to give you an update from Clovis, our executive pastor who we hired, uh, who lives in Arizona. Uh, we're waiting on him to be able to sell his house and get things packed up and move here and buy a house, and so um, just asked him to, to send in a quick update from Arizona. So here's Pastor Clovis. It's already started. Well, I'm excited for you to get to meet him in person. He's a really, really special uh, person, and his wife is super sweet, too. And so as soon as they can get things wrapped up there in Arizona, they'll be making their way here. We'll just keep giving you updates until then. But he's going to be coming on as executive pastor and just to help carry a lot of the admin loan, uh, load behind the scenes. Uh, so super excited to have him uh, come get started. Uh, we're going to be in Second Peter chapter 1. We've made it to verse 5. Uh, so two weeks ago... Uh, we started this, this series in Second Peter. We made it through verse 4, and then we took a break last week for Mother's Day. 
and, uh, and you got to hear from Ken, which was fantastic. And uh, earlier this year, I was looking at this, the preaching schedule. I started thinking about Mother's Day, and um, I've preached the last 14 here at Solid Rock, which means that, A, I thought it might be time for you to hear from another voice, uh, and Ken did a fantastic job, but B, it's been that long since I've sat with my wife, who's a mother, in service. And so um, we got to sit together in service uh, last Sunday. It was a super sweet gift from Ken to us, uh, but then also from Ken to you moms. I just really thought his voice was appropriate for Mother's Day last weekend, and I know you were blessed by that. Um, but now we're picking back up in Second Peter in, uh, in verse 5, and we're, today we're going to be kind of wading into some, some waters that um, I think need some explanation or maybe just a little bit of kind of context. So um, over the last couple thousand years, there are a lot of different like topics that get discussed or argued about or debated within Christianity about what we believe. And one of the topics that's at the top of the list is the relationship between grace and works. And so you may be familiar with this discussion or debate. Um, and so here's the idea is that the gospel is a gospel that says that you are saved by faith through grace and that this is not your doing. This is not by your works. It's by the works of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that's the gospel. But then there's also a call to participate in the work God is doing in us. There is a call to put forth human effort uh, along with the work that God is doing in our lives. And now when you take that conversation to like either extreme uh, here's what tends to happen. So if you go towards grace and you go, we're saved by faith of grace. Um, so I'm just going to count on God doing all the work, no human effort. Um, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to flash my WWJD bracelet, right? I know, what G I know G who Jesus is. I'm going to slide right into heaven and I'll wait on God to work on me when I get there. That's one end of that, 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 that conversation. The other end of that conversation was somebody who's like, man, it's all about human effort. It's all about how hard I can work. It's all about like pulling myself up by my bootstraps, being accountable for, for me, for, for number one. I am going to work hard so that when I get to heaven, I can roll out my resume, my portfolio of all the good works, and surely God will go, okay, you did enough, come on in. Now, bo both ends of that spectrum, first of all, are, are not the gospel, um, but they're incredibly unhealthy. Um, one leads to no spiritual growth and progress, and we'll see in just a minute um, maybe the opposite of spiritual growth and progress. And the other one, though, leads to failure, frustration, and loneliness, because if I'm over here in this mindset, once I start to struggle and fail, I got to throw up a smokescreen. I got to throw up a facade to convince you that I'm okay on the inside while I'm really dying, which means I begin to move further and further away from being known. It's incredibly lonely. And so the gospel is super clear. We are saved by grace through faith. Yet in the New Testament, periodically, we will get um, authors who encourage us to participate, to like put forth human effort, to give it a try. I think about even what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He says, here's who the wise man is. It's he who hears these words of mine and does them, puts forth effort. That'll be the wise man. I think about James. He's known for his, his advo advocating for works, right? He says, faith without works is actually dead. He said, man, don't just be a hearer of the words. Don't just sit back over here counting on grace. Hear the word, but also do it. 
And so we're actually going to be in a passage here in 2 Peter that is one of those passages of Scripture that encourages us to put forth human effort. And so we're going to start in verse 5 together. And the verse begins with this, For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, if we're not careful, if we are those Christians who really lean towards the works camp, you just gave me a six-point to-do list, right? And I got to come up with a plan to get all of this done or convince you that this is who I am. But if you land on the grace side of things, you're like, Phew, there's not a chance in the world I'm going to accomplish any of that. Good luck. I'll see you at heaven. Now, I love the way that, that Peter embeds this in this passage, but he begins with this very reason. That's so important to stop and ask the question, what's the very reason? Right? That's going to help us understand what Peter wants us to do with this encouragement. So for this very reason refers to something Peter's already said in the first four verses. Primarily, that you and I, as Christians, who again are saved by grace through faith, that we are partakers of God's divine glory. This is really important. So a couple of weeks ago, we unpacked that, and how that's an indication of the work God is doing in our lives, restoring you and I back to Genesis chapter 1, the Imago Dei, the image of Christ. And in the first four verses, Peter says this comes to you through your knowledge of God. As you get to know him through the scriptures and know him in your personal life, here's what's going to happen. His divine power is going to be on you. Something powerful is going to happen. It's not your power, his power, that's going to cause this divine kind of supernatural work to happen, and you're going to look more and more and more like Jesus. And so he ends in verse 4 by reminding us that as Christians, we are partakers in God's divine glory. That's already true about us. Without working hard, without effort, God is already doing that work in us. So for this reason, so since that is true now, he's calling us now to step forward with human effort. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Yes, you are saved by grace through faith. And I want to invite you to make, make some effort, make some move towards what God is doing. This word in the Greek language, uh, make every effort, means to come alongside. It's the idea that uh, you're not being asked to start something from scratch. You're actually asked to join God in what he's doing. So this make every effort is an invitation from God to you to come participate in the work he's doing not in everybody else's life, but in your life. It's an invitation to come alongside the Holy Spirit and, and bring some human effort and see what God does with that. And so he says, make every effort then to supplement your faith. So important we pay attention to these words. This word supplement means to add to something that already exists. So whatever work you're being invited to participate in god is already up to that work you need to hear that he's not calling you to start from scratch 
He's not calling you, right? 100% of this is on you. He's saying, no, I'm actually already working in you. I'm just, I'm just inviting you to add to it, to supplement it, to participate in what I'm already doing. To come alongside the work of the Holy Spirit, the work the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, and participate by adding your human effort. Now that, that alone, that invitation is a little scary, isn't it? It's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, what if I mess stuff up? Like, I'm pretty good at doing that. It'd be easier just if I could just sit back and just let God take this. And I don't want to put forth effort because I may mess it up. And then, then what do I do? What do I do when I kind of fail or fall short or mess things up? We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to share with you just a little illustration I think will help us today. Um, I shared two weeks ago in the opening sermon in the series about um, a hike I went on with my boys and about a special vantage points that we made it to on that hike to where we could kind of look out over the valley and we had to talk about creation and who God is. And so I was digging through some photos this week and I found the picture we took from that space. And so I want to show you, first of all, that picture. This is where we were sitting uh, when we were talking about God's attributes being seen in what he has created. This is where we had the conversation. But today I want to talk a little bit about the journey to get there. So just some context, if you aren't a backpacker or a hiker, to get to the really pretty places um, requires a lot of effort. It's really, really hard work. I mean, not only are you starting out at usually an elevation um, that's quite a bit higher than where you live the rest of life, so you're already starting behind on oxygen, um, but it's almost always uphill on uneven terrain. Oh, and by the way, we're going we're gonna to strap a backpack to you uh, to add some weight as you go uphill to this thing you want to go see. And so I, I know I, I love backpacking. And the trip that I was talking about was the first big backpacking trip I took with my boys. Now on this particular trip, it's, really, it's a really difficult um, grind. Um, but I had done this trip before. Okay, so I'd done this trip the year before with a couple of buddies. We had hiked um, up to Music Pass and then back down to the valley and then up to one of the Sand Creek Lakes where we made camp and had a blast. And so I knew, I knew how to get there, and I knew that it was possible, but I also knew how difficult it was. Because, see, you actually park your vehicle at around 9,500 feet in elevation, and over the next mile, you're going to actually climb 2,000 feet. And so when you put that in perspective, it's like climbing a set of stairs that is a mile long. For every five feet you go this way, you go up two feet. With a backpack, on uneven ground, going uphill. And so I knew it was going to be really hard. But here's what I also knew. I knew it was doable. I knew that although my boys were at some point were going to go, what do we do? And this is impossible. I knew they could make it. So I told them, I said, hey, guys, this is going to be really hard. If you need to stop and take a break, we'll take a break. Just let me know. If you need more water, we'll get you more water. It's going to be really hard. And you're going to make it. So off we go. Um, up the hill. I think there's a picture here. This is us at the beginning of the journey. I want you to notice how big the smiles are, how, how fresh the energy is. They're like, we got this. These backpacks are, are, are light. And then off we go up a mile-long set of stairs to the top of Music Pass. And so this is about 11,500 feet. And this is the look on their faces once we made it. They're like, okay, we did it. Backpack's off. Whew. We made it. Here we are. Now, before we go to the next picture, what they don't know is that we're just about a third of the way to where we're going. 
You see that green valley below Hudson's Knees? That's a thousand feet down in elevation. So we've got to go back down to that valley and then start back up. And if you look up in the top at the granite uh, mountain up there, you're going to kind of see where the tree line ends and it turns to granite. That's where we're headed, 12,600 feet. And so we've got to go down another thousand and then back up another 2,000 feet before this thing is done. Now, they felt really good in this moment, so I'm like, okay, boys, throw your backpacks back on. And here's a picture of us getting ready to make our way down the thousand feet. And look at Calvin's face now. He's like, what? Put the backpack back on? It's a horrible idea. So here we go, now down towards the valley. And as you can imagine, when we started back up, now the real grind began. Because we thought we were done. And now we got to do this again? Another 2,000 feet of elevation change over a course of, of a mile. I've done it before. I know how hard that is. I don't know that I can do it. And literally my boys were saying that to me. Dad, I, can we just camp here? I don't know that we can do it. And so then the scene started to look like this. <laughs> Hudson's got his tongue out, and Calvin is not happy with me. That's his, are you kidding me face? And so I told him, guys, if you need a rest, I'm telling you, you can make it. I've done this before, and you can do it. If you need a rest, we'll rest. But here's how we're going to make it. As we can, we're just going to keep walking. The only way you're going to make it to the top of the hill is you just keep walking. And so that scene repeated itself over and over again, all the way up, till eventually we made it. And I want you to look at Calvin as he's celebrating there. Yes! We made it. Now, I don't know if that means it was worth it, but it does mean that we made it. Now, I'm sharing that with you as just an illustration to think about, A, the Christian journey is super hard. It is an uphill grind. Until you make it to the kingdom, it is an uphill grind. Okay, and it's going to kind of go like this, and sometimes it's going to feel like things are letting up, and then it gets harder. Okay, if that's happening in your life, that doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just means you're a human living in a fallen world. It is an uphill grind. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit who's working in you, he's done this before. He, he knows you can make it. You aren't the first project. Matter of fact, Peter, who's writing this letter, think about where he was 30 years before this, at the crucifixion of Jesus, denying Christ and saying, I don't even know that guy. And think about all the work the Holy Spirit has done in Peter's life in this uphill climb to get to the point where he even wrote this letter. And so as Peter invites these Christians to pursue godliness, he's, he's encouraging them to just participate in what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life through this struggle of this uphill journey in Christ. And he's not calling you to sprint or run or dance or prance. He's just saying, hey, just keep walking. Just keep walking. And the good news is, he who is at work in you has done this before. And he knows you're going to make it. Even when it feels like it's not. Even when you feel like you can't keep going, you're going to make it. Now, there's a list of things in here Peter's encouraging you to pursue, put forth human effort towards. So he says, here's what you need to do. I want you to supplement your faith, add to your faith, virtue. That's the first thing he mentions. This is the idea of moral excellence. 
And I love that he starts here and doesn't end here. I think it's something really profoundly theological about that. Okay, so this is the idea of moral excellence doing the right thing. Okay, moral excellence. Um, the next thing that he mentions here is knowledge. We talked about that two weeks ago. You're going to grow in Christ as you get to know him relationally, intimately. So he says you add knowledge. The next thing he mentions is self-control. This is the ability to get to a fork in the road and to go, I know this is not a healthy way. This is not the way God wants me to go. This is the way that I need to go. And so I'm going to choose this way. Okay, self-control. Now, the confusing thing about that title is it sounds really lonely. So we'll come back to that in a minute. This doesn't just mean you and God by yourself. But the idea is that something in you gets to the place where you're able to go, you know what? If I go this way, it's the wrong way. It's an unhealthy way. It leads to destruction. I kind of want to go that way. And I've gone this way before. Feels, that's the easy way. Feels like downhill. But in this moment, self-control is, no, I'm going to go this way. This way is uphill. But I'm going to trust that it's actually going to lead me somewhere better than if I go that way. Self-control. Uh, in addition to self-control, uh, he mentions steadfastness. This is important. This is the idea of whatever God is up to in your life, it's going to happen over time. Steadfastness. It's like me saying to my boys, I don't know when we're going to get there, but I'm telling you we're going to get there. It's going to take some time. We've been at this for two hours, I know. You need to rest, let's rest, because listen, this is, it's going to take time. I like to use that um, illustration, and the reason for the slide with the trees is the idea of, see this tree over here on the right, this young tree, who one day hopefully will be like the big trees on the left, but it's not yet. But I guarantee it's a whole lot bigger than it was two years before this picture was taken. And so your spiritual journey is not like watching weeds grow. This time of year, you mow your grass, and you wake up the next day, and they're already like, you're like, what? I just mowed you. That's not the spiritual journey. The spiritual journey is like watching a tree grow. You can't see it grow, but you can stop at certain points in the journey, certain places on the trail. You can look back and see where you've come from, and then you can look forward to see where you've yet to go. I'm not as, I'm not as young, I'm not as small, or I'm not as whatever as I used to be, but I'm also not where I want to be. And so he uses the word steadfastness. This is going to take time. In addition to that, he says godliness. This would be the godlikeness the Imago Dei. So like he's asking you to call, he's calling you, he's inviting you to put forth effort in becoming more like Jesus. How do you do that? Well, I need, to, I need more than a WWJD bracelet. So that's a decent starting point. But if I never go actually look and see what kind of person Jesus was, I don't even know what kind of person I'm becoming. What was Jesus like walking here on earth? If I can get a decent picture of that, then I have an idea what God is up to in me. And so this God-likeness, I put forth effort in that. I go, well, how, did, how did Jesus interact with people? I look at that and go, man, I want to start interacting with people that way. God-likeness. And then the last two things he mentions, and I believe it kind of crescendos with this. The first one is brotherly love. So supplement your faith with brotherly love. Um, this is the idea um, of a love that seeks to supply the needs of your brother. So you see your neighbor in need or your friend in need, they need something, and you step in to help, that's brotherly love. It's phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love. But all of this is crescendoing, not just with brotherly love, but he ends with 
agape love. And this is the idea of having a desire for the highest good of another. So it's more than I just want to make sure you have what you need. I actually desire your greatest good. I am for you. Now, I think it's super important to pay attention to the order here. That everything that, every effort we put forth in godliness and moral excellency, it's all aimed at a superior target of love. If all I do is become a morally excellent person, I will have missed it. My moral excellence is moving me forward to become more like Jesus, and as I become more like Him, I'm going to move towards brotherly love and eventually agape love. Some examples of this in other places in the Scripture. 1 John chapter 4 comes to mind. In verse 7, the Apostle John is writing, and he first says, Hey, beloved, meaning, hey, people who are already loved. Do you see that word in the, in the Bible? Beloved. That's a reference to people who are already loved. So beloved, people who are already loved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You feel the connection between love and knowing God here? This is what Peter's aiming at as well. He's talked a lot about our knowledge of God and how that transforms us. And here he's saying it will transform you. And as you become more like him, one of the primary metrics would be your love for others. And he even says this, God is love. Now, we know God is more than love. He's a lot of things, right? Like we could spend an hour talking about all the things that God is, all-knowing, all-present, all these different things. But John's point seems to be at the center of who God is, is this, God is love. He doesn't love you based on your lovability. Somebody give me like an amen there. That's like so, super good news. Super good news. Okay, so that means God, lo God loves you when you're not lovable. He doesn't wait for you to get your act together before he gives you his love. If that's how you experience love, that's more of a human transactional love. Okay? So God loves you because he is a supreme lover. And that's who he is. He doesn't have to talk himself into it. He doesn't have to consult with the Trinity and go, ah, should we love him? He keeps screwing up. No, God is love. And if you know him, it's going to be obvious because of the way you love others. Verse 9 in this first John passage. In this, the love of God has made, was made manifest among us, or revealed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that he might live, we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, or people who are already loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What this list of things tells us is what our lives are aimed at. This is what the Holy Spirit is already doing in you. He's working on your virtue. He's working on your knowledge of who He is. He's working with you on self-control. 
He's working with you on God-likeness. He's working in you on steadfastness. He's working on you on brotherly love, which is super uncomfortable at times. He's working in you on agape love. He's already up to that, those things in you. So if you're a Christian, this is what our lives are aimed at. This is the goal of the Holy Spirit's work in you. The Holy Spirit isn't simply trying to make you a more moral person. The Holy Spirit is restoring the broken relationship between you and God that was caused by sin. If you succeed in becoming the most morally virtuous person on earth, but don't land on love, you've missed the point of God restoring you back to Eden. That's the point. The gospel is God's solution to what happened in Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, and they broke their relationship with God and with each other. And so we aren't just trying to become morally righteous people. This this moral excellency is just the pathway to something, becoming more like Christ. And that's that's a pathway to something, restored relationship with God and with each other. Look at what he says next in verse 8. This is back to 2 Peter 1. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so you already have them, but, but they're actually increasing in you, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's two, actually gonna be two concepts he's going to talk about. The first one is this. is not just that we have these qualities, but they're actually increasing slowly over time so there there is no room for me to plateau in my spiritual journey to go you know what i think i i gave it my best effort but i'm just going to camp out here i'll catch i'll catch you go ahead and go up the rest of the way i'm just going to stop here i'll never be like that guy that was on stage reading scripture and praying i mean that dude he really loves jesus either way i'll never be there so what he's saying is no 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 it's either increasing or it's lacking. Look at what he says in verse 9. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities or has these qualities in lacking measure is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now don't miss this next phrase. What causes nearsightedness and blindness? What causes me to get to a place in my journey where it feels like I'm plateauing spiritually or maybe even declining? He says it having forgotten that he was cleansed from former sins. What Peter is saying is that when we get to that place, we feel like we're growing stagnant or we're kind of losing energy and and putting forth human effort. What causes that is not that you're not strong enough. It's that you've lost sight of the grace of Jesus. That's the motivator. That's what compels us forward on this journey is to stop and to take inventory and, and never forget where you came from. Never forget that God loved you first. Never forget that in your, in your darkest moment, God gave you his best. That's what compels us to go forward. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. In Corinthians he says this, it's this grace and love of Jesus that compels us, that moves us forward. That's the fuel when you get tired. When you pull over on the side of the road and go, you know what, I'm going to sit here for a while. I'm tired of putting forth human effort. Stop for just a minute. Does anybody ever feel that way? I do. I'm tired. 
I feel like if I take another step, I'm going to fall on my face. I need a break. I'm tired of working on me. <laughs> yeah, that's a real thing. Just pull over, take off the backpack, sit down, catch your breath. But what is the motivation at some point to get back up and keep walking? Peter says it's the grace of Jesus. If you ever find yourself just camped out on the side of the trail and you haven't gone anywhere in a long time, it's because you've, you're nearsighted, you're blind, you've, you've lost sight of this grace of Jesus. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. That's like that word earlier, put forth every effort. That's the same thing here, same root word. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, which is a reference to your salvation. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a big promise. He did not say, if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or fall short. He uses the word fall. The idea here is you're never going to get to a place in your journey where you fall and slide all the way back down. You will stumble. You will falter. You may fall short of your goal. You may fail. You may miss the mark along your journey, but you're never going to completely fall or fall away. And the word he uses here that we translate practice, it actually means to build or construct. Okay, so I'm not just going through the motion, I'm not just getting in reps, I'm actually participating in building something. I think it's super helpful to pay attention to what Jesus said about these same things. Um, in Matthew 7, which I referenced earlier, here's the full conversation. Jesus says the same thing Peter is saying, here's how Jesus says it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, puts forth effort, participates, will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. That's the word that Peter's using as he describes us practicing these things. We're building our lives. So if you hear the words of Jesus and you put forth human effort, you do them, you'll be like the wise man who builds his life in the metaphor here, builds his house on the solid rock. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Remember how I said life is an uphill grind. That's Jesus' way of describing it. Storms are gonna come at you. But look at what Jesus says. But it did not what? It didn't fall. Now it has some squeaky moments. I could, I could hear the wind blowing. I heard the shingles flapping. There was a moment there. I thought the whole thing was going to come down. But the next morning, the sun came up. I went outside and looked, huh, it didn't fall. The life that you build by hearing the words of Jesus and then doing it, putting forth human effort, is like the wise man who builds his house on rock. And even when the storm comes, even when the journey gets really, really, really difficult, it doesn't tear the whole thing apart. Because the difference is this, and Jesus says, and everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, and does not do them, will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It begins with hearing the words of Jesus. It begins with the gospel. It says we are saved by grace through faith. Now, I want to just circle back around to where we started. We talked about this relationship between grace and works or faith and works. And probably one of the most explicit places in the New Testament that talks about how we're saved by faith is where Paul is writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And he says, listen, church, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And this is not your own doing so that nobody gets to boast. But then the very next verse says this. Oh yeah, but don't forget, you are God's worksmanship and God has prepared good works in advance for you. And here, you ready for it? Here's your role, that you should walk in them as you walk through life. Your entrance into heaven is not contingent on you getting everything right. That's not what's on the line here. You've already been saved. This is an invitation to now grow, to become more like Christ, to participate in, in God restoring you back to the Imago day of Genesis chapter 1. Listen to where this journey leads you. Back to 2 Peter verse 11. For this way... This, this path, this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is Peter encouraging us and stirring us up to take this journey of faith that is supplemented with human effort, that is fueled by the grace of Jesus, that ends at the entrance to God's kingdom. And what he's saying to us is, keep walking. How, it's too far, it's too hard. I know it's hard. Just keep walking. You need to stop and rest, let's stop and rest. Okay, you ready to get back up? Let's get back up again. And let's keep walking. Keep walking with the help of the Holy Spirit along the pathway that leads towards godliness. And then you're going to experience real fruitful transformation. And this is God restoring the Imago Dei in you. And you will make it to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. That's good news. This is really good news. You see how it's not one extreme or the other? It's not, hey, come over here to this side of things and let's all become like the, the pep rally. You can do it. Just work harder. If you keep working hard enough, eventually you'll become like Jesus and God will let you in. It's not that. It's also not, let's just put everything on cruise control. Let's ride this wave of faith and grace. God's going to forgive me anyway. So I'll just wait for the transformation to happen later. There's this tension in the middle. I'm saying, no, you're saved by grace through faith. You're already in, but because you're already in, because you are already loved, now participate. Come journey alongside the Holy Spirit as he works in you. And I love where Peter ends here. It's really personal. And I think we should read it that way. 
Peter is at the end of his life. Remember, he's back in Rome. Church history would tell us that he's about to get killed. He's about to become a martyr for his faith in Jesus. And he's about to tell these Christians, hey, God has already revealed that to me. My time is getting near. And so let's listen to Peter's words here now as he writes to these Christians who are struggling, who are suffering, and he's inviting them to just keep walking. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, these these things, these virtues, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me, and I will make every effort. There's the same word again. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Christians in the room, listen. Peter's saying, I'm not telling you anything new. Now, for some of you today, it might have been like a light bulb going off, and that is new, fantastic. But to his, his audience here, he's like, I'm not telling you anything I haven't told you before. All I'm doing is stirring you up by reminding you of what is true. I'm about to be done here. My, I can already see the, the mile marker coming for my exit ramp. Here's my hope after I'm dead and gone and I'm with Christ that I will leave you with these reminders that you would continue. Continue pursuing Christ. Continue participating in the work the Holy Spirit's doing in you. It's going to feel like this. But he who is at work in you, he's already done this before. I'm telling you, he's got this. And here's where I want to end. Remember how earlier I talked about the loneliness of that idea of self-control? Can we keep in mind that Peter is writing this letter to the whole church? This is not a one-on-one conversation between Peter and one Christian saying, hey, you can do this. You're stronger than this. Have more self-control. He's talking to the entire church here. One of the misunderstandings about self-control is that you're supposed to do it on your own. I'm just telling you right now that doesn't work. God's design is that it is not good for man to be alone. Okay? So you're going to need help in this. You're going to need somebody who knows you well and cares a lot about you, who can display that agape love and also help you see things you can't see. Most of the work that I need to do on me is in my blind spot. I can't see it unless I ask somebody to help me see it. So one of the most courageous questions you could ask to participate in this is to sit down with a beloved brother or sister in Christ who you trust and say, hey, would you be courageous enough to answer this question? Are there any places in my life that don't look like Jesus that you think I'm blind to? And then listen. And as you feel the defense mechanisms coming up, take a deep breath and go, I asked. Therefore me, therefore my greater good. This is not so they can prove me wrong in the court of law. And listen. And let them share feedback with you 
so you can see what you can't see. And more than likely, your brother or sister in Christ is going to help you see something that the Holy Spirit's already working on in you. And if you'll pay attention to it, just, just turn. Without condemnation, just with curiosity, and go, huh, you're right. I had no idea that was there. Now I can do something about it. Now I know where to put forth effort. I've been running this same play and feeling like I was plateaued and getting stagnant. I wasn't growing anymore. And thank you for that. So when you hear self-control, I want you to think about a journey you take with other brothers and sisters. And when you get to a place in the trail, listen to me, church, where you don't think you can go any further. I mean, it just becomes so steep and difficult. Your legs are shaking. You're out of breath. Whether this is a, a season of just like grief, depression, anxiety, addiction, struggling with the same sin over and over and over again, this is where you stop and you ask for help. Will you help me? Will you help me? I didn't tell you this, but there are parts along that journey where I had to take one of my son's backpacks and carry it for a little while. I helped them. And at no point at the top did I hand them their backpack back and go, yeah, but you didn't do it on your own. Not at all. We were meant to help one another in this journey that is so increasingly difficult. So I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to think about for reflection. Uh, pray for us, and then we're going to have baptism. Super excited about that. So here's just some things to think about as we wrap up. I want you to think about your own life and what does it look like in your life to put forth effort? So when I say that, what does that look like for you? To put forth human effort towards your spiritual growth to supplement your faith. I want you to think for a minute about this next question. What evidence in your life is there that um, these Christ-like qualities are already there. So maybe you just need to stop on the trail and turn around and look at where you've come from. So can you see the evidence? We were just singing about it. That God's already working in you in these things. So what evidence is there in your life that show that these qualities are already yours? And then I want you to think about this. In what area or areas of your life do you see yourself as ineffective or unfruitful? Surely I'm looking at a room full of people who struggle, like me. So what if you just gave it a name? Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm not seeing any change happen. And then the last question is this. What steps can you take this week to grow in these Christ-like qualities? What would it look like for you this week? Strap on the backpack and take a step forward. Just participate in what God is doing in your life. Let me pray over us, and then we're going to celebrate baptism together. Father, thank you for your word and for this reminder today that, God, you've saved us miraculously and graciously through what Jesus has done for us. And God, you first loved us. And so any motivation we have to live our lives for you or to become more like you comes from our gratitude of that gift of grace. So God, I pray today that you would stir that gratitude in our hearts. And with that would come this, this compelling energy and, and effort and passion to begin participating in this amazing work you're doing in us. 
Thank you for calling us to this journey. And while it is hard, we thank you that you have not called us to take it alone. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.